Well, good morning. Uh, Elizabeth and I do uh, bring greetings from your brothers and sisters at Third Presbyterian Church, where uh, we are now ministering. We've been there for a little over a year. And um, we do. We were talking on the way over here just how much of a blessing it is to be among old friends. And I've seen so many of you this morning. Some of you I may not know. Some of you I know very well. And I do want to say before we get started this morning how grateful I am for Cross Creek Church, for you, for your ministry, for Chris. Uh, God has and continues to use this church to minister um, in the very same way that he ministered to me deeply and personally. Um, And I hope I'm standing here today as fruit of your ministry. Uh, Charlie and I were laughing of how when I first came in, I had hair down to here. I had rings on my hand. And here I am, by God's grace, standing before you to open the scriptures on a personal note. Elizabeth did say yes when I asked her to marry me. So praise God for that. Been married two years and we are expecting our first child. So we are very excited um, for that. But um, now as we enter into the scriptures together, uh, you may have an outline there in the back of your Uh, bulletin and the title of our time together is the real experience of grace i want to tell you where that title came from it came from two sources one would be last sunday and then two would be our text this morning first samuel 29 last sunday i was doing exactly what you're doing right now i was sitting in a church pew at third presbyterian Hearing uh, Dr. Trucks open the scriptures and our sermon text was Colossians 1, 3 to 10, where Paul is giving thanks uh, for the faith and for the love of the Colossian church. And in that Thanksgiving prayer report that you have there in verses 3 to 10, when you come to verse 6, Paul says of the gospel that it has come to them and it as in as indeed it has in the whole world. And is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among the Colossians since the day, he says, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You know, the kind of understanding, understanding the grace of God in truth that produces genuine faith and authentic love, the kind that the Colossians had, the kind that I know that you have, that kind of understanding is experiential. And that dawned on me last Sunday as I was listening to the scriptures opened that the understanding that produces faith and love is experiential. It's experiential like um, our experience of the sun. We don't just comprehend that there is a force of uh, light and energy 93 million miles away around which our planet revolves. We don't just understand that about our sun. We understand it personally and experientially and that we can feel its heat we can enjoy its warmth and we can be grateful for its energy so too so too must our experience must our understanding of god's amazing grace be our understanding of god's grace must be like that our saving knowledge of him must be personal and experiential and therefore it must be real the real experience of grace is that of which we are going to read and understand and let me say before we read the scriptures together that we must 
labor to understand and recognize God's grace in our life when and how and where it's happening. Because at stake is the glory of God. We fulfill our chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever when we recognize where, how and why God intervenes in our lives to save us. And we praise him. And I hope by the time we are finished moving through this chapter that we all praise him, that he has given us 1 Samuel 29 to teach us just that, just how to recognize and understand and enter into the real experience of saving grace. So that said, hear the holy word of God in 1 Samuel chapter 29. Now, the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that's in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commander of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years and Since he deserted to me, I found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of... Of the men here. Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out in and with me in the campaign, for I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know That you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you. And start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up. To Jezreel. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I am jealous this morning. I am jealous that Cross Creek Church be nourished by your word, that they see and hear you, that they see and hear your grace, your love. And that we together understand the inner workings of the real experience of grace. 
And to that end, God, I pray that you would send forth your Holy Spirit to overcome my weaknesses, overcome my inability to minister the word well. And to that end, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable now in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, the way we want to move through 1 Samuel 29 is we want to move to move through it with an aim of recognizing saving grace, recognizing when, where, how and why God is working in the details of our life to bring forth glory to his name. So that's what we want to do. And if you see there in your outline, there should be a section labeled where labeled how and why. The first, where, where does God move into our lives and lead us into an experience of saving grace? The answer is in real situations. You know, the arena in which we experience the grace of God, the arena in which you experience the grace of God is real life, real life. And real life is lived life and lived life. If we were honest, we would say is often stressful <laughs> It's often stark, it's often sudden, it's often serious. Stressful, stark, sudden, and serious. Stressful, like David's experience, which you all have been chronicling for some time now, specifically in chapter 26, verse 24, where David has just spared Saul's life when he easily could have reached out his hand against the Lord and against his anointed, but says to Saul in verse 24 of chapter 26, Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Real life is often filled with tribulation, often filled with stress. And in that way, we are no different than David. The experience that we see David moving through is intensely stressful. And more than that, it's intensely stark. Upon sparing Saul's life, chapter 27, verse 1, David's forced with a decision where he says in his heart, chapter 27 says, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. I have to face the stark facts of reality. If I stay in Israel... I will die by the hand of Saul. I've entrusted myself to the Lord, but I have to look at the facts I see in front of me. And sometimes those facts are stark. Sometimes they are more stark and more severe than we wish we had to experience. And so he says, there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines, thinking... Saul essentially wants me out of his territory so he can be king, so he has no threat. So if I forfeit my identity, if I become a Philistine, if I leave the people of God and go to Achish and go to the land of the Philistines, I won't just preserve my life, but I'll preserve the life of those that are following me, their families. Sometimes we face the stark, real situation of having to make that kind of complex, hard decision. And David is no different than you and me in that respect. And then... Third, sometimes real life, real situations, real lived life can often be very sudden. By the time we come to chapter 28, all seems well. David has found refuge in the land of the Philistines. He 
has found a way to supply for his needs and the needs of those entrusted to his care by conducting raids, of which he also communicates to the Philistines. By the way, I am capable of handling myself if I have to. Let's keep a clear distance between you and me. But a sudden turn of events confronts him in chapter 28, where Achish says, you will go fight against the people of Israel. Understand, he says, that you and your men will go out with me. And David then is forced with the sudden and serious experience that we meet him with in chapter 29, where we see him in chapter 29 at the rear guard of Achish, the rear guard of the king of the Philistines, his security detail marching out with the hundreds and thousands of forces of the Philistines to conduct a campaign against the people of God. At which point the situation gets very, very serious in verse three, when the commanders of the Philistines say, what are these Hebrews doing here? Now, with the capability of a thousand forced army, when they suspect you as a threat, that's a very serious circumstance, because at that point, not real sure what's going to happen, are you? (laughs) David is certainly outmatched. And so we see that to see that serious situation played out. In verses 1 to 5, where the Philistine, the commanders of the Philistines come to Achish and say, do you not know who you're dealing with? Do you not know who this David is? They parade his brutality that Saul's killed his thousands, but this David, his ten thousands. Do you not do you you, are you not gripping, uh, coming to grips with reality, Achish? Now, I don't know. Who among us this morning is like David and feels incredibly stressed, feels that they are now having to face the stark facts of reality, that they have received sudden news with which they must deal. We do think of our brothers and sisters in Chattanooga. They must deal as we all in the United States must deal with news and turn of events that we'd rather not. And some of us may be sitting out there in a very serious situation that only you and the Lord know about. Parallel to David in verses 1 to 5. But I want you to hear me. That the word of God says to you this morning that it is in those type of situations. Those real situation that God means for us to experience. Not just comprehend but experience personally and really his saving grace. So that's where. What about how? I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. It's a tremendous movie. Um, I'm going to spoil it for you. I apologize about that. But I'm going to tell you the sequence of events where Brad Pitt plays a CIA operative and his... um, Boss, his mentor, Robert Redford, um, hears word that his uh, pupil is involved in an op that went bad. And the movie details Robert Redford organizing sequences of events so that by the time Brad Pitt is rescued and is in the chopper, he comes to realize that someone else is responsible For the saving sequence of events. Someone else was moving in and through 
those that were responsible for his rescuer. You know, I believe if if David were here, I believe he would say that this situation that we encounter him in chapter 29, this situation and the sequence of events that led to his salvation, I believe he would say that that experience was like that, that he got to the end of it and he realized someone else was responsible for the saving sequence of events. Because as I said, he is in verse two at the rear guard of Aphek. And what takes place in verses three to five, David doesn't know. His next experience is verse six, where Achish summons him and says, look, I know that you are honest, that you're right. And it seems right to me that you should go out with me in the campaign. For I found nothing treacherous, nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me until this one. But nevertheless, the Lord's do not approve of you. So he says in verse seven, go back, go in peace. Do not cause a conflict with the Lord's. I do not need civil war before I'm going out to fight another battle. So go back and go back peaceably. Now, then with some very quick, (laughs) some very shrewd. And in my opinion, some very risky thinking, David says there in verse eight, what have I done? What have I what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I might not go up and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? There's a number of ways to interpret that. But I read it as though David knows what he's going to do. He knows that he's about to reach out his hand in direct violation against the only Word of God that has driven his thoughts for the majority of this um, experience with Saul. We know that from chapter 26, verse 4, that he is not to reach out his hand against the Lord's anointed. And he knows that he has been forced to do just that very thing. Now, lest he, lest Achish realize this and exterminate him once he gets back to Ziklag, he says, well, I'm going to feign allegiance just to make sure that I'm taking care, not just of me but also of those entrusted to my care. That's why I'm saying this is a real situation. This is the real type of environment that the Lord moves into to save. And that's why I call David's thinking quick, shrewd and risky. And in passing, I'll say Jesus calls us to be and do the very same way. Would that my servants were so shrewd, he says in the Gospels. But Achish, however, has made up his mind in verses 9 and 10. Says, I know that you're blameless. You're like an angel in the sight of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, you will not go with us to battle. So in verse 10, he commands him, you rise early, you go and you depart as soon as you have light. And that's it. Verse 11. David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. So that's it. Two conversations. One between the commanders and Achish, one between Achish and David. And David heads back to Ziklag, saved. Now, the lesson for us is that salvation, real salvation, the real experience of grace, does not have to be overly dramatic to be real. Now, I hope that helps you with your testimony 
You are called to be a witness of the resurrection. It's what the church is. We're the witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and the communion of saints and all that we confess that the Bible teaches about our life together. But you can give profound testimony of the experience of that grace by seeing that your experience can be real and can be powerful and can be helpful without having to be overly dramatic, particularly if you've grown up in the Presbyterian church where you're grateful to God for a covenant family who taught you the scriptures, have led you in the way of life and you were convicted of your sin and you entered into the fellowship. Your testimony is as profound because God has moved just as savingly in your life as he has in mine. And I think verses six to ten teach us that that God can and does Use the most ordinary sequence of events to deliver us from evil. Now, finally, we looked at the where, the how, and now briefly, the why. Why does the experience of grace take place in this real and visceral, slight way that it does? The answer is because of real saviors. Chapter 29 is a beautifully told story. It's a beautifully told story. Not least because of how it ends. Look with me at the last line of our text, the last line of uh, verse 11. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David went down the Ziklag. Philistines went up. To Jezreel. To do what? Chapter 31, as you come to that in due time, will show you that they went up to kill the people of God and the anointed of God. The very thing the Lord commanded David not to do. And so, that last line. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel insinuates all, all that David was saved from, namely the wrath of God. You know, Second Samuel chapter one is the end really of part two of the Samuel narratives. You know, Sam, first and second Samuel are really one unit in the um, Hebrew scriptures as we have them. You have really... Three stories in three parts. First story is a story of Samuel and Saul. Then you have the story of um, Saul and David. And then finally the story of David, the king. But this story of um, Saul and David comes to an end in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Where David is down in Ziklag where he flees to in our text. And a young Amalekite, young man, maybe a few years younger than me or maybe my age, comes to David with the crown of Saul in one hand and the armband, the armlet of Saul in the other, and says, I've killed your adversary. Implying, what then do you owe me? And then David says, tell me what happened. And 1 Samuel 1, we hear this Amalekite give the report that um, the Philistines wiped out Israel. His best, his dear friend, perhaps his best friend, Jonathan, is dead. His father-in-law and the Lord's anointed, his king, is dead. 
and his people fled. And large numbers of them are also dead. In verse 14, you know what David says to that Amalekite? Why is it that you were not afraid to reach out your hand and strike the Lord's anointed? And at that time, he calls one of his able young men to execute this Amalekite. Now, suppose that after that, David went out to look on the body of that young man. Would he not? Would he not? Call to mind this episode of chapter 29. That had it not been for Achish, had it not been for the lords of the Philistine, for what he can now see as saviors. Of course, moved and orchestrated by the savior, by the Lord, his God. Would he not look on that body and say, had it not been For the Lord, my God, moving through Achish and the lords of the Philistines, that body would be mine. Of course he would. That body would be mine. I have so many stories like that. And I know you do, too. Stories where we step back from the point in Our spiritual journey and maturity that we look back and say, God intervened in my life to save me. And I look back now and I see that it was so slight. It was so quick, but yet it was so important. And I end, brothers and sisters, by saying, how much more ought we say that? Of the Lord Jesus. Had it not been for him. His body. On the cross. Would be ours. Had it not been. For him. And had it not been. For the obedience of the servants. That he sent into our lives. To tell us this good news. Hunter Twitty. Cross Creek Church. You have the forgiveness of your sins by faith in the one God man, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus, the Christ. That happened to each of us. And we were born again. And we look back and say, had it not been for the countless times of God intervening in our lives that way, our bodies would be in exchange for his in the punishment of sin and death. So, brothers and sisters, I end by saying that I submit to you that what we have in this very short but very profound and beautiful story in 1 Samuel 29 is an exposing of the real experience of grace. That to hear and understand the gospel... Just as the Colossians did, just as you have and are to hear that and to understand that is to know really and personally that God in Christ intervened and therefore intervenes now, day in, day out in the detailed experiences, the real situations of our lives. He intervenes. I know it may not look like it, but he is In the midst 
of your daily life, particularly in those situations that seem beyond repair. And God in Christ orchestrated and therefore orchestrates the sequence of events that work all things for your good. If, and you know this, if you love God, if you are called according to his purpose. And finally, that God in Christ saved and therefore saves you and me when we, like David, put our faith in him. Every one of us can leave that door, leave this building saved, forgiven, cleansed, born again. Experienced that saving power anew. We can leave. We can leave here today. And it's as slight as that. It's as slight as one preacher, one sermon and one faithful, trusting, understanding heart. And so may it be in Jesus name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, the psalmist said, oh, how wonderful is your law. Oh, what treasures are in your glorious word. And even more than that, Paul said, in you, Christ Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In you, Christ Jesus, that is in your holy word, in your holy scriptures. In 1 Samuel 29 is hidden the treasure and the wisdom of just how you move into our lives. Just how you move into our real situations that you orchestrate real sequences because you are a real savior. Father, as we sing that in you alone is our trust, I pray that we would remember you and that we would enter in maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. May we enter in to the real experience of grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.